but we're doing a more thematic thing, looking at a passage each time and thinking through how the cross impacts life. And then we're doing the same passage again in home groups. So if you are visiting us or if you're a guest here, um, you're kind of getting three quarters of the story because home groups is where we really think through what it means and we pray it through and we apply it um, together as a group. So why don't I lead us in prayer? And we will think through this morning how work is affected by the Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us. The Lord says this in Isaiah. He says, These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my words. Lord, please protect us from being proud as we come to your words. Would we long to sit under it and not over it? Help us to see what you're saying and what that actually means for us day by day. We long to be those increasingly shaped into the image of the Lord Jesus. So please open our ears so that we might hear you and give us your spirit and your strength to obey. In your son's name, amen. I read a statistic this last week that 50% of Christians, that's half of you I guess, have never heard a sermon before on work. And yet for many of us it's the thing that takes up, I guess, the biggest proportion of our week, for many of us even more than sleep. Now that seems a bad statistic to have. The estimation is the average individual will spend about 90,000 hours in their life working, at least in terms of paid employment. And so before we get into Colossians 3, actually, I want to try and do a very brief overview in the Bible of what the Lord says about work, particularly as we go back to the beginning and look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And then we'll come back and think about how the Lord Jesus impacts on our work life, the kind of priorities we're supposed to have. If that statistic is correct, if half of you have never heard a sermon before on work, then it is vital, isn't it, we begin to think carefully about what the Bible says. What is work biblically? Well, I take it it is more than just paid employment, actually. It's what we do every day. Work comes up at the very start of the Bible. There we go, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So God says to them, very familiar verses, I expect, This is the blueprint for us, if you like. 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Chapter 2 verse 5, Now no spring, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plants had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. And then verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So just notice a couple of things with me from those verses. Uh, Firstly, work is necessary for the world to function. Number two, verse five, why had no shrub yet appeared? Well, partly there's no rain, but also there's no one to work the ground. Man had to work the ground, that was his job. That was what he was there for. And so verse 15, in chapter 2 again, he, he does work it. He does take care of it. I take it that's part of our task in subduing the earth. It's how God has made the earth. 
He doesn't do it all. He uses people. People like us. And we make it fruitful and ordered and productive. Work by people is necessary. And more than that, it is good as well. Remember in chapter 1, at the end of each day, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. It's his design, it's what we were made for. And so I take it that's not necessarily, again, through paid employment. Working, subduing the earth might be much more than that. It may be gardening. It may be washing up. It may be changing nappies. We'll come on to that later. It may be tidying the house. It may be paying the bills. But at this point in chapter 2, work is good. It is what we were made for. And yet you know as well as I do, the work doesn't always feel good, does it? In our experience, we can feel a long way from chapter 2. The Bible doesn't end at chapter 2 in Genesis. It goes into chapter 3 and Adam and Eve say, no thank you God, we don't want you in charge of us. And if you like, the world breaks. And there is suffering. They decide not to live under God's rule and they are judged. And work changes. 3 verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. While cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the fields. Work is going to be hard. And so it ends up being a mixed bag for us now. Work is still necessary. It's how God made the world, but there are thorns and thistles and computers crash and you lose your work and thieves break in and steal and your boss is horrible and you spill tea over the laptop and the children don't listen to you as they ought to as you're trying to teach them. And work is a mixed bag. It's this curious blend on Tuesday. It's a Genesis 2 day. And it's fantastic and you feel satisfaction and achievement and fulfilment. And you love your job. And then Wednesday, it's a Genesis 3 day. And lots of extra work falls on your desk. And the people in your team are squabbling and arguing. And you just can't seem to get anything right. So it's frustrating. This curious blend of what work is like. Some days it's fantastic, it's Genesis 2. Some days it's awful. And it's Genesis 3. So that's an overview to work. It's as far as we're going to go. Come and grab me after we'll talk much more. But the story so far in Colossians, you can flick Colossians open with me. How has Paul got to chapter 3? Well, he spent chapters 1 and 2 telling us that Jesus is enough. He says, you know, you don't need anything else. Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. Nothing else to make you right with God. Nothing else to help you grow. Actually, Jesus is sufficient. The gospel is enough. And if that's the first half, the second half is, well, what difference does that make to your life, to you on a Monday, to your church life, to your family life, as you relate to your spouse, as you relate to your children, as you relate to your boss, as you relate to those under you at work? How does the gospel, this sufficient Jesus, How does he transform everyday, nitty-gritty living? Look at 3.17. 
think here's the start of this little section in a way, or a great verse to focus on and get in. So 3 verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, that's literally work, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think the one thing Paul wants to say to us as we look at these verses on work is this. He says, the Lord Jesus is your true boss. And if you go away remembering that, I'm a happy man. Hopefully through the week you won't forget it. It won't slip out of your brain. The Lord Jesus is your true boss. And that transforms how you work. The context we'll look at, as we'll see, is of, is of a kind of paid employment position, a slave and master thing. But I think we'll see the application and the outworking is for all kinds of work. The washing up, the nappies, the gardening. The, uh, the fact that Jesus is our boss filters through into everything, right through our week. So, two things that we'll look at. Uh, Jesus is your true boss. Remember this as you relate to your employer. And then secondly, he's your true boss. Remember this as you relate to your employees. First one, as your employer. Now we need to do a bit of groundwork here, uh, some sort of translation. There is a difference between slaves then and what we are now. Us as employees, slaves would have been practically owned by the, their masters. Um, You might feel like you are, but you are not owned by your bosses or the firm. And we need to note too, just because it's helpful to remember, that actually the kind of slaves here and the slaves that we think of in uh, 19th, 20th century America, that kind of thing, it's not quite the same. Their life wasn't necessarily awful. To give a first century slave freedom actually might have put them in a more difficult position. They wouldn't have had the security the food, the family to be a part of. And so we need to think slave then while employee now or student now or homemaker now. And we think master then, think firm now. Think boss, employer, manager, teacher, those people over you. Okay, so slave roughly relates to employee, master roughly relates to boss. Now, from my experience of working in various jobs, in various offices, with various people down the years, and from getting alongside various people in churches, I think it's pretty likely that many here this morning will find themselves uh, poorly managed at work. You're unappreciated. You're often criticised, but you're seldom thanked. You're often put upon, but you're seldom helped. You're often told, but you're seldom heard. And simply that is a great recipe for demotivation. For simply just doing the minimum, just get through the day, get through the week, and live for the weekend. But not for the Christian. Not for the Christian slave then, not for the Christian teacher or street sweeper or office worker or housewife or husband now. Who does a Christian teacher work for? Do you work for the head? Do you work for the the council, the government? No. 
Who does the Christian lawyer work for? Do you work for your firm? No. Who does the Christian homemaker work for? Do you work for your family? No. Verse 23, do you see the principle? We work for the Lord, not for human masters. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's not the Lord NHS or the Lord Oxford City or County Council or the Lord whoever you work for, insert name here, or even the Lord degree. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. He has your primary allegiance. Now obviously many of us here do work for uh, employers. We have people over us and they do demand obedience from us. We are obliged to work for them. But verse 23 is the key. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That might be your homework as you have lunch today. Think through, what does that actually mean for me in the workplace? What does that actually mean for me as I'm at home working? Work as if working for the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. Paul Paul wants us to see where we get it wrong. There might be evidence in your life that you have got this wrong, and there are two things, I think, that he points out. Let me read again through from verse 22 to verse 23. He says, Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. He wants us to have all the time and all our heart obedience. All the time and all our hearts. You see the all the time is there in verse 22. Uh, The actual word is eye service. And he means you don't just work hard when they're watching you. When your boss pops in. But you work hard all the time. There's such a culture, isn't there, at work of just getting on when you'll be noticed, when your boss pops into the office. People can be very two-faced. There's a superficial burst of enthusiasm, a flurry of emails, extra helpfulness as the boss pops in. And then he leaves and they slack off again. They go back to the internet or reading the paper or chatting or sleeping or whatever it might be. I came across this website. Um, You have to to understand, upon researching for this sermon... And it's called Vanished.com. I don't want you to write it down because I don't want you to go there. But Vanished.com. It's a site that enables you to look at the internet through a little window behind a work file. And as you move your mouse around so you can read the internet. And as your boss walks in, you flick it off and it closes. Don't go there. (laughs) Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour. It's obedience all the time, because if you like, your boss is there all the time. The Lord Jesus is your boss. He's watching you all the time. His eye is always on you. There's never a point when he's not watching. And so there's never a point when we slack off. As the rest of the office flicks onto the sport webpage, because the boss has gone, you stick with your work. 
because your boss is still in the room. As the rest of the department leaves early because the management have gone to a meeting, you stick with working. Your boss is still there. He's still watching. So our obedience, it's all the time, and it's with all our hearts. Did you see there in 22 and 23 again, sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I take it it's pretty easy to work begrudgingly. We often slip into that just to churn it out, just to get home, just to do what we have to do to keep people happy. There's this sort of surface obedience and yet inside we resent it and we're bitter. Especially the kind of stuff we don't like. We say, why should I wash up when it's not my turn? Why should I take on some of his workload again? I don't have to fill that form out again, do I? For him? Why do I always get that job? And we just churn it out. But remember who your boss is. Your boss is the Lord Jesus and he, he almost has x-ray vision to look into your hearts to see your motivation, to see the kind of heart that you have as you work. Which is actually incredibly liberating because it means that anything we do can be worshipped to him. If Anything we do, if you like, can either be sacred or secular, depending on how we do the job. So I hoover the house and I do it wholeheartedly for the Lord and he is pleased with that. And that hoovering, that everyday job becomes sacred. And I can write a sermon and I can try and impress you lot or Peter or whatever it might be. And it becomes secular. So I'm not doing it for the Lord, I'm doing it for me. Every little bit of work is an opportunity to worship the Lord. There's a great quote from um, Martin Luther, the Reformation theologian, and he said this of changing nappies. He said, God with all his angels and creatures is smiling, not because the Father is changing nappies, but because he is doing so in Christian faith. As long as it isn't a sin, any little thing, any mundane thing can become sacred because you work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That's a truth that can transform your day. It can transform what you do. There's a poet called George Herbert and he wrote a poem called The Elixir. Um, And it was written as if he had discovered a secret in life that turned things to gold. I'm just going to read you a bit of it now. He says, teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. A man that looks on glass, on it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, through it path, and then the heaven espy. A servant with this clause makes drudgery divine, who sweeps a room as for thy laws, makes that and that action fine. This is the famous stone that turneth all to gold. For that which God doth touch and own cannot for less be told. Whatever you do, however dull, however much drudgery is involved, however boring, work at it 
as if for the Lord. Everything becomes golden. The secret to life. Notice too, this kind of work isn't forever. If you find it hard to keep going, remember verse 24, you're going to receive an inheritance. Keep going now with your eyes focused on then. Press on. And if you're tempted to do wrong, or verse 25, remember you'll have to stand before the Lord. I take it not as are you a Christian or not, but what have you done with what you've been given? It might be that some people have got the question there, what if my master asks me to do wrong? What if my boss wants me to, to cut corners in ways that aren't legal or are sinful? What do I do then? I've been asked in years gone by to lie at work, just to say to somebody ringing in that my boss isn't in the room. What do you do in those situations? You can imagine then, can't you, that the master of the house asking his slaves to be unscrupulous, to be plain dishonest. What should they say? What do we say in those situations? Well, I think 3.17 is helpful again here. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If he's your boss, then can you say that what you're doing is in his name, something that he would be pleased with, something that he could put his name to? For some things you can't, and you just have to say no, because he is your boss. You might say to, to your earthly boss, I'm sorry, I, I can't lie for you. But you can trust me, I won't ever lie to you either. He is your boss. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's our first point. Jesus is your true boss. Remember how you relate to those above you. It changes your attitude to your work. It means that you are happy to labour all the time. It means that you're happy to labour with all your heart. Because it's for him. It's for him. Second point, though, much shorter. This is for those, if you like, who have, who have moved up the career ladder a bit. And you've got people who work under you. People who, for whom you are the boss. 4 verse 1. Jesus is your true boss. Remember this as you relate to your employees. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. He says, employers, treat, treat them as he treats you. He is right and fair to you all the time. Now you be right and fair to them all the time. You often see that those in power, without an outside reference point, uh, go a bit ski-whiff. Authority can easily become abusive, can easily become unfair. They take advantage of those under them. You see it in political dictatorships. You see it in office dictatorships. Treat them how he treats you. As one person has put it, the danger is this. He says, the temptation is to regard those under you as mere workhorses, delegation targets whose sole purpose in life is to get work off your desk. 
Never mind whether their load is reasonable or equitably spread. Never mind their working conditions. They're there to serve you and your plans. It's not being right or fair, is it? You're simply seeing people as machines who will fulfil your agenda. It might impact things like pay. Are we paying those people within our organisation fairly, equitably? It might mean giving them acceptable working conditions, providing for them what is right and fair day by day. I think the everyday challenge for those who are employers or for those with people under us is not to oversee people how we are overseen. That is, there's a culture in a workplace and how you manage those people under you is very often how you are managed by those above you. When the management are doing a bad job, well, the danger is we just ape the culture and we treat people under us as we are treated. And yet we can be very different because Jesus is our boss. Because we are accountable to him. It can be very striking. People notice when a boss is different. Uh, pastor in New York, Tim Callas, some of you will have heard of, tells this amazing story of a lady who one day comes to church and he goes to chapter afterwards over coffee and he says, uh, who are you and what is your connection with the church? And she replied, well, it started a few weeks ago. I made a big mistake at work. I was new And really it was a very big mistake and I should have been fired. But I was at the meeting with my boss, who is well respected, and I expected him to heap all the blame on me. But instead he absorbed the blame. He took responsibility for the mistakes that I had made. And everyone believed him and it all went away. My stress all went away. And when I asked him why he did it, he said, don't worry about it. He said, don't worry, I've worked here long enough. I have the collateral built up. I I can absorb this. I can handle this. You can't. Just accept it as a gift. And she goes on, this really bugged me. I've worked for tens of bosses. I've seen them accept credit for loads of work they haven't done. But not one boss who has taken the blame for something they haven't done. So she went back to him again and she pushed him again and again. What makes you so special that you would do that for me? And he eventually lets it slip that he's a Christian. And that being a Christian makes a difference because he wasn't working for the approval of the people around him. I take it he was working for the approval of him over him. And her first question was, where do you go to church? Where can I find a church that will tell me things like that? And so here I am, she says. People sit up and they take notice. Jesus is your true boss. Remember this as you relate to your employees.